What's poppin' y'all? Welcome to another episode of Splash Considerations. This is Justice De Los Santos. As always, just wanted to give you a bit of a disclaimer for to the episode that you are about to listen to. Uh, me and Roy recorded this episode on Thursday, August 13th. Not only does that mean we recorded before Zach Plesak and Mike Clevenger were optioned, we also recorded before the breaking news that a member, not not just a member, but a player on the Cincinnati Reds tested positive for COVID-19. Those will both be subjects that we'll hit on in the next episode, but just wanted to throw y'all that little disclaimer before getting into today's episode. I hope y'all enjoy the conversation that we had. Enjoy. episode of Splash Considerations. My name is Justice De Los Santos, joined as always by the Massimo of Moxie himself, Rory O'Toole. Rory, how's it hanging in the mean streets of the city? Not bad. It's been hot as hell, thank God, because it's usually way too foggy over here. We needed some good weather. But you know, hanging in there. Uh, didn't have to relocate like the Toronto Blue Jays to Buffalo. hey On a freeway, you know. Doing better than that. And you were telling me that you recently started a part-time job. So how's that been going? That's been going good, you know. Just adjusting to that. New hours. Can't sleep in as much these days. But you got to keep yourself busy, as everyone I know. Listening at home, it's hard to find enough hours in the day to do stuff. So it's been good. It's good to hear that you've been getting a little bread, you know, staying busy. Yeah. but. In terms of uh, a group of individuals that has not been staying busy, uh, the St. Louis Cardinals. So we have a lot of <laughs> nope. a fun baseball-related stuff that I want to get into in this podcast. But before that, let's kind of do our due diligence. Let's give a little update on the St. Louis Cardinals. They have not played uh, since July 29th. They've only played five games this year. For context, I think the Giants have, like, won five games. Um <laughs> shots out of nowhere not even shots i just think they've won five i don't i don't remember it's it's some number but i'll look this up right now i'm probably i'm probably like way off but honestly i don't think you are they've only played five games this year while most teams have played around 20 which side note it's a it's crazy to kind of think we're at the third uh wave mark already uh another coach tested positive for eight and twelve that was close i was in the ballpark i was in the ballpark but another coach tested positive for coronavirus today, today being August 13th on Thursday, which I believe that makes them uh, up to 18 cases uh, within the organization. Uh, some members of the organization have even had to be taken to the ER as a result of their bout of coronavirus. Some of the most notable names that have become public, among them being Yadier Molina and Paul DeJong. So there isn't really that much to say that hasn't already been said. This has been an ongoing situation for basically the entire month of August. So I'll pose you this question. They've missed about 50, in the range of 15 games and with every passing day, that gap just widens. There are plans for them to possibly play this weekend and not just play this weekend, but to play three, one, two, three doubleheaders. We said it on the last podcast, three is a magic number, but three doubleheaders. And 
in order for that season, in order for their season to happen, they're they're going to get taxed. There's going to be their players are going to get physically taxed. They're going to have to do a lot of catching up to do. So the question that I do want to pose you is, what do you see in the Cardinals' future in the year 2020? Do they somehow figure this out and play enough games to have some semblance of a competitive season? Or do they go in the opposite direction, sort of similar to the Dallas team in um, regards to MLS, where Major League Baseball just says, hey, sucks to suck, but we got to keep it pushing and get you out of here. Honestly, yeah, that's what I've been thinking. Like, just boot them the hell out. Like, solve the problem. Like, the triple, triple header, double, you're going to have these series of double headers just seems so unrealistic. And it kind of penalizes the teams they're playing, their opponents. You're wrapping them into the Cardinals' failure to uh, maintain social distancing or whatever happened that occurred to where they all got infected. Um, I think it would solve a lot of problems if they just booted them the hell out. And especially since their owner, Bill DeWitt Jr., said baseball is not even profitable. So why not take a year, look at the books, try to cut some costs, try to make the St. Louis Cardinals profitable, you know, because they're such a – under the radar franchise, not big at all, you know, so maybe take a year, take a vacation because I don't see the double header thing being that realistic. Uh, if anything, what I think baseball will do is just be like, you know what? We're just going to do like winning percentage. Like I know there's going to be game difference, but too bad extraordinary circumstances you know and it's gonna suck for the teams that have played more but knowing Rob Manfred knowing baseball they're just gonna be like you know what let's not overcomplicate this thing a DNP global pandemic exactly (laughs) and yeah as much as I want to say that Major League Baseball and the Cardinals will find some way to figure this out it just seems like the hoops that have to be jumped through in order for them to have some semblance of a season. Like when Ken Rosenthal was describing it, he was saying that they want to kind of stack as many doubleheaders consecutively so that they can get an off day, which considering how many games are going to be playing, that sounds kind of like an oxymoron. It's like, it's, it's like the bodies of the St. Louis Cardinals players, if this does happen are going to be hella taxed. And there's two things to consider in regards to that. One, I feel like Major League Baseball would have to make an exception for the St. Louis Cardinals as well as the teams that they play and have right. additional roster spots because for like for some reason, like they expanded the rosters to 30 and then it's dwindled down from 28 to 26, which it considering the circumstances of this season, even with the taxi squad, I think they should have just kept them at 30 just because of and the sure. rent. Not only just insurance, well, well, yeah, it would be insurance just because there's been such a rampant rise of soft tissue injuries, which gets into the second point that I want to make is that if the Cardinals were to undergo this season, there would be, they're just, it's in kind of the same way that Major League Baseball accepted that there would be like a lot of coronavirus cases. If the Cardinals were to go forth with this plan, even with like a scheduled off day every once in a while, a lot of guys are going to succumb to injury because unlike the majority of teams right now, they're not stopping and starting twice. They're starting and stopping three times and their bodies aren't used to it. The fact that they're going to have to ramp up even more quickly than they had to when major league baseball resumed in the first place, that's going to be an additional factor. And some of these guys might be staying healthy or not necessarily healthy, but active. 
But even at that, you can't simulate the wear and tear that your body is going to face by traveling and having to get to the ballpark hours ahead, do all the things that you have to do in the course of a regular game day besides the actual game. So in terms of the logistical standpoint, in terms of the health and safety standpoint, I feel like the best move as much as that would suck to happen is to just kind of pull the plug on the season. And I would, I especially feel bad for some of the players who did follow the protocols and went to the degrees to make sure that their team could have a season. Like for example, the Cardinals have a picture from Korea. I'm forgetting his name, but this was his first season in the majors. Imagine and, that. <laughs> and I don't like, I'm not even sure if you, I, I would imagine he was able to get like at least one appearance in, but imagine like considering how things are doing in Asia as a whole in regards to China and Japan, Taiwan and right. Korea, then you come to the majors to fulfill your dream. And then like, boom, this happens. And we know that especially when it comes to uh, players coming over from another country, sometimes it's just the one year and they go back. So if that's his like one like experience, what an experience that, of what America! An ex- what an experience! Uh, I I find it I'm finding it hard to wrap my head around Major League Baseball actually going to MLS and kicking the Cardinals out though. Yeah, most like, definitely. Because I don't think the owners would want to set that precedent because it's sort of not inevitable, but at least a mathematical possibility that this could happen to another team in the future. And if they boot the Cardinals out, then the 29 other owners are going to be like, you know what, if our team gets it, then we're gone and we lose even more revenue and we lose a year of service time with these guys' contracts, maybe like that factors in as well. So I think – they're going to try to make this thing work however they can. That's why I honestly see baseball just having this sort of unfair standings where there's going to be this disparity between games and the NL Central because I don't, I don't see how you do all those doubleheaders, especially if you're the opponent. It's just like, so we're going to have to waste our guys' arms, put them through this toll for something we had nothing to do with. Like, that, that's not fair to the other teams having to play them. So, I see baseball maybe just compromising, being like, you know what, Cardinals, <laughs> whatever your record was, that'll be your record. Like, maybe have, like, a play-in game or some sort of thing, you know. Who knows? And you already but have, it, like, it, half it the would, league in the playoffs, so. Yeah, right? It would make sense to kind of just kick them out, but it's hard to see the other owners – Signing off on that. I am seeing they're two and three right now, the Cardinals. So they're right down there with the four and 13 Pirates. So what are you guys worrying about anyways? Yeah, as someone that did that played travel ball and sometimes had to do those doubleheaders, like that that was rough on like on me when I had all the exuberance in the world. And imagine doing multiple of them consecutive, like stacked on each other. Like that's that's not realistic. That's crazy. You can't do that. I guess it kind of fits into one of the major themes that we've seen in major league baseball, as well as sports as a whole, which is the question of what's right. What makes sense? What's the most like logical thing to do? And what are we kind of going to try to force ourselves to do? What's, where are we going to try to put the, the round 
like I keep forgetting the expression, the the circle into the square. You know what the fuck I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just like <laughs> trying to like make these like very difficult scenarios happen. And I wouldn't be surprised. Like at any at this point, I really wouldn't be surprised with whatever course of action Major League Baseball wants to take. If they want to boot the Cardinals just because it's going to be too difficult to make everything happen, it's too dangerous, both from a soft tissue perspective as well as a COVID perspective. That would they should have sense. a COVID bowl, like Marlins versus Cardinals <laughs> versus any other team. Get the Phillies. Throw in some players from the Indians. Uh. Oh, man. But while the Cardinals haven't been on the field because of the coronavirus, Ramon Laureano may not be on the field because of an entity that some might consider a virus to the heart and soul of baseball, that being <laughs> the Houston Astros. For those of you who are living under a rock – Here's the breakdown. So on Sunday, Ramon Laureano got plunked by a breaking ball as what happens over the course of major league games by Humberto Castellanos. That was actually the second time that Humberto hit him in the series. And it was the third time that Laureano was hit during the series as a whole. None of them being intentional. That just kind of happens when you have like what, 10 rookies in your bullpen in regards to the Astros. But what happened was Loriano was a little irked, you know, he kind of motioned to Castellanos, you know, you know, you gotta, you gotta have a little spin on your curveball. He's kind of flicked his Literally wrist a little giving bit. him advice, like passive aggressive, like you gotta, snap. which is, that's, that's like, that's kind of like on the level of like when Zach Granke, like tipped his pitches, like intentionally, we'll get into Zach Granke later. It's almost show. like a fight where you're trying like, no, when you, punch with your fist you want to turn your wrist like just like give me some you want to use you don't want to use your knuckles you want to use the like the the base yeah like that that was such such a great move by him but as Loriano walks the first he's kind of he you know he motions to Castellanos and you know there's no real malice intent he's not really going to charge the mound you know there's a little little uh, he just got hit by a baseball just got hit by I mean you get hit by a projectile at like 80 miles an hour. And I don't care like that. I don't care how soft that thing is. You get hit and, by anything. And just to give context, he had been hit twice before. In twice the in the game. And that was his third time in the series. And we should also know the Astros were on their way to getting swept in this game. I think the A's were already up like 6-2 whenever this happened. Like, Oh, yeah. They were, they were kicking the Astros' ass. Nine-game winning streak for the A's. As Tim They're Cal- feeling Thomas. good. The Astros are on the opposite end. Altuve sucks. The Astros suck. All their pitchers are gone. As Tim Kawakami said, it seems like the Astros wanted to beat them down spiritually. Yeah. But when Loriano gets to first, you know, he's just kind of on his merry little way, gets the first base, get the on-base percentage up a little bit. Astros hitting coach Alex Cintron starts chirping with him. Now, what was actually said, it's uh, – it's like the the juicy uh, the Starburst commercials or the, the the Skittles commercials. We may never know, or whatever, whichever companies that has that slogan. We may never know exactly what was said, but Centron allegedly had some insults for Loriano's mother, and that's a no matter what walk of life you come from. Don't you big, talk about my mama? That's a big no no. So Loriano, you know, he watches baseball, and you know, sometimes American League players like to watch some. National League Baseball, specifically some National League Central Baseball. He remembered Amir Garrett. Amir Garrett. So he pulls in Amir Garrett. He charges the dugout. And, you know, it, considering, you know, with that buildup, all that, like Dustin uh, Garneau bear hugs him. That's a, he's on the Astros, a former teammate of Loriano's. Honestly, great takedown. 
Great takedown. Like, it really de-escalated it. it de-escalated it right then and there. But Cintrone, for all those fighting words, decided to he did a lot of hold me back, that fake tough guy stuff. And so at the end of it, there was no real malice. But as a result of that little kerfuffle, and there's a lot of jumping off points that we can have in regards to this conversation. Everybody that watches Major League Baseball knows what we're talking about. Uh, Ramon Laureano gets suspended for five games. Cintron gets 20 games. That's a dub, 20 games. So, like I said, there's a lot of ways to attack this. And you kind of alluded to one of the ways, which is the Astros' performance. I kind of alluded to all the rookies they have, you and then the general uh, Astroness of it all, if you will. But, Rory, what is your main takeaway from this entire debacle? Main takeaway is the Astros are the most insufferable sports franchise we've seen since. I honestly, it's hard for me to picture another organization on this level, at least in my lifetime, where you've cheated. You know you cheated. The whole world knows you cheated. And yet you have this attitude that you're a martyr, that you're being persecuted. And then pick fights with people and then victimize yourself. I don't know if anyone saw uh, Citrone's non-apology apology. Like, oh, a classic. It's a basically classic. made himself a martyr. Uh, first of all, why are you even still on the coaching staff? You were literally... Hey, can we, okay, can we acknowledge that Citrone is like the last remaining coach from did the 2017 F- World Series team? Did they forget he was there? Like, oh man, he's there? Like, what? We forgot about him. He slipped through the cracks. It's like the dude at the function that's like just chilling in the corner with like his red solo cup and just like, hey, what's up with you, bro? Yeah. On his phone. Yeah. And I think you you saw it with the Joe Kelly uh, conflict that we might touch on later. You've seen it with some of their comments in the media. You've seen it with the general attitude of the Houston Astros with Jeff Lunhow, with uh, Jim Crane. Just the entire franchise does not apologize for what they did. All they apologize for is getting caught. Like, that's sort of the sense that you get from it. And it's just like, you guys, you need – if you're going to cheat and get caught, you need to beg for forgiveness. And they're going the complete opposite way, going full heel, which is great for sports and for debate and everything, but you guys – are the worst. I cannot imagine being a neutral fan ever rooting for the Houston Astros. Like, there's nothing likable about this team. And for this case in particular, Loriano had the right to be angry. He's been hit three times in the series. It hurts a lot to get hit by a baseball. Let him say what he's going to say. He's taken his base. It's over. And then you're chirping from the dugout. Why are you doing that? What and then you hide behind your wall of dudes, act like a fake tough guy. It's a punk tactic. Yo, so straight up punk. Honestly, he needs to get fired. Just get him out of the league. Just you should have been fired originally. I don't know why you're still on this coaching staff. And here's the not a good hitting coach with the way the Astros are playing right now. Hey, just yo. get out. Just get out. And here's the here's the thing about the Houston Astros as an organization. You can take the cheating scandal. You can, you can just remove it. 
And there is still a laundry list of grievances against this franchise. There's the fact that they tried to play that whole, we're so smarter than everybody, we're so revolutionary, that they damn near cleaned house with their entire scouting department. There was the assistant general manager after after they clinched the American League last year who was saying to a female reporter, I'm so fucking glad we got Roberto Osuna, who also, let's go to the Ozuna thing, the fact that after Ozuna had a case of being of, of domestic violence, they decided to perpetrator pick him up. Of it. Even considering Justin Verlander's comments that came right before the fact that they picked him up, which created some awkwardness in and of itself. So you could take out the cheating scandal and you could still have an organization that on so many different fronts. They think just- they're above it. They literally think they're above the law, above common decency, above the game. They have contempt for everyone around them. And like you said, it's it's a it's a infection, it's a virus that needs to be exercised from the game. We need a vaccine for the Houston Astros bullshit right now. So getting into kind of uh, the specifics of the suspension because you know, my main takeaway when I saw the Loriano thing, I actually wasn't watching the game live. You texted me. And so when I saw it happen, <laughs> you were like, what? So I didn't see, I didn't see the clip that came from the side of him running first. I just saw like the benches clearing. And in, it was the same thing as my like reaction to the Joe Kelly thing. My very first reaction was y'all. Did y'all not see what happened to the St. Louis Cardinals and the Miami Marlins? Yeah, not we haven't even touched on that yet. Like, yo, you not, cannot be fighting in a pandemic of all times. This is not CDC friendly. The CDC would not agree no. with what they're trying to do here. No. But in terms of the suspension, I'm actually – I'm kind of surprised – well, I'm not, I'm not necessarily surprised with the Cintron because Alex Cintron, he got 20 games. And I do have some thoughts on that. But I am surprised that Ramon Laureano only got five games. I'm shocked. And he appealed and then, like, robbed a homer the next day. Like, my <laughs> guy's right guy out on bail. Now, it is, it is interesting to note that when Amir Garrett uh, rushed the Pirates' dugout, he got eight games. Ron gets five. But in a non-pandemic world. In a non-pandemic they world. They specifically said this is the one time. It's already super not okay. Now it's really, really super not okay. Uh, I'm shocked. He, I'm shocked he didn't get like 12 games. That's what I was thinking, especially after the Joe Kelly incident, just because yeah. it was kind of like when Joe Kelly got the eight games and that eventually did get uh, appealed down to five games. But even with that, it just kind of felt like the general idea was we're kind of setting a precedent here where like we're not like we as a league aren't going to kind of have it. But yeah, like yeah. – like I, we do have to preface where we do have to say that obviously five games in a 60 game season is a little different than eight games in an 162 game season. But I honestly thought he was going to get the hammer. I thought he was going to get at least, everyone thought that I Everyone's thought he was like, get at least eight games, if not like 10. And can we talk about Loriano talk about like, I know I'm going to get suspended, but my only regret is that I even like fought that loser. Like, which is a great quote. Like, my only regret is I even, like, gave you the light of day. That's a Hall of Fame quote. Oriano, I already loved him before. Like, he's been awesome for the A's for a while now. Just like, bro, you're a Bay Area legend at this point. And the thing is, like, in the Pantheon. In terms of this, like, it kind of came at, like, a really bad time for the A's. 
And as you did mention, like Loriano was able to play like the next game and that he did rob a home run. And I think that from the A's perspective, they're probably like, I want to say that they'll be okay for the five games that Loriano isn't going to be there, but it just did come at a very unfortunate time for them just because they had all the momentum in the world right before this hit. And you, you know, kind of look at it as like kind of a, if we're going to try to like look read between the lines, it's kind of like a bait technique as like on Centrone's part. It's like this team yeah. now challenging us for the division that everybody expected us to run away and win. Right. As dumb as that is, it's considering the world we live in. But I mean, as we're going to get to later in the, later in the show, there are some individuals who aren't on uh, exercising their uh, best stream of consciousness. Oh, definitely not. Or leaning too much into stream of consciousness, not taking a step away and being like, what am I doing? I'm shocked though that the brawl wasn't more violent. Like it, it shut down quick, which was actually nice. Like we, Chapman kind of scuffled a little bit. I think Maldonado was pushing a little bit, but I, I mean that Pirates Reds brawl, which you referenced earlier with Amir Garrett, like that was a brawl. Like there were multiple fights going down. David Bell's getting into it with the other managers. <laughs> like that that was a whole thing. This was just like done in five seconds, essentially. It's one of those things where like by the time the the relievers get there from their little their little jog, oh, yeah. what do we miss out on? They're like, damn it, we missed it again. But since we are on the subject of the Astros, and we did kind of mention this in the last podcast when we talked about Verlander's injury. I'm not going to go as far to say that the Astros are no, like they aren't an elite team. They still right like, now just, they're not on paper. They are definitely like an elite team on strictly on paper, but well, well, even that in and of itself, because if you look at the state of the Astros, both from the performance of their main guys, as well as who they have in the mix in regards to their pitching staff, this is like at the oh, beginning the of the staff se- is a at, tragedy. At the beginning of the season, I think me and you both agreed that in terms of like the three elite tip of the top teams in baseball, it was the Dodgers, the Yankees, and the Astros. And with every passing game, I feel like the Astros are slowly teetering it like they're slot they're falling from that status of elite into that group of like really good teams, but also the flaws are very evident. Look, I told you at the beginning of the year, the karma was not going to be on the sides of the Astros. The baseball gods were going to punish them. I warned y'all. I read the tea leaves. It's happening. The Astros have a lot of bad juju. Injuries, attitude. When the whole team, when the whole world hates you, that us against them mentality, and you know you're guilty, and you know you're wrong, the energy's all messed up. Obviously, injuries played a huge part as well. I don't want to make this all supernatural, but, you know, there's just certain laws to the universe. In the Houston Astros, you push too far. Yeah, and you have Dusty Dusty Baker saying that Jose Altuve is, like, really going through it mentally. And it's incredibly evident in the way that he's playing. Now, I don't want to completely attribute this to – basically the Houston Astros shame tour that's been happening like like every opponent that they play but in that game before the Loriano incident he had three errors I believe not even just the game but I believe it was in one inning some plays that I believe like well he doesn't have his buzzer anymore you know how's he supposed (laughs) to hit come on justice 
in in terms of hitting, he's hitting sub two hundred right now with a sub one hundred WRC. No, he looks completely lost out there. He's in the wilderness. Against the Giants, he tried to bunt on base, and when he tried to bunt on base, he ran into the ball, and he was out as a result of that. So I think George Springer, or was it Carlos Correa, who hit themselves in the nuts on a foul tip? That was Correa. Was it? Correa? I think it was Correa. Like, yo, just look, the baseball gods are punishing them. It's happening. I feel bad that Dusty Baker has to be a part of this, by the way. Like, I really hate that Dusty is the one to go. It's like watching your best friend go work for, like, the evil corporation down the street. It's just like, man, why are you doing this to yourself, man? And here's the thing that I think kind of gets lost in the mix in regards to the Astros. Now, a lot of people were saying prior to the season that the only real winner of the pandemic was the Houston Astros. That's because they weren't going to have to play in front of stadiums with 35 to 40,000 booing fans. Well, if we look at this year, we've already seen how the pressure has been kind of applied internally. And what I mean by internally is in regards to the players themselves. We've seen it with the Loreano incident. We've seen it with the Joe Kelly incident. And we've also seen it a little bit externally with the Houston Asterisks plane that was being flown around uh, the stadium in Oakland. And, and there's, the, like the, there's also the aspect of back in spring training, people were bringing trash cans. That pressure was being applied. But I think the main thing that people were saying was that, oh, like there aren't any fans in the stands this year. It kind of sucks that they're not going to get their, their rightful shame tour. But we like I'll say that with the cracks that they're showing, they're showing cracks right now. That pressure is mounting. That pressure is palpable. And here's the thing, Rory, that Houston Astros shame tour is not going anywhere. People aren't going to forget this regardless. Like, like if we're being realistic, the Houston Astros are probably more likely than not going to be a playoff team, which means they are going to get that exposure come October. Which I don't know. Let, let, I don't know, man. Let's just say for the sake of yeah. the that given the talent, injuries, like hope, like the, they definitely should on paper. Because, like, assuming that they get their guys back Ozuna, Peacock, uh, Bijani, Verlander, Arkady, and Alvarez, Lucifer. all the guys, assuming that called up uh, Presley as well, <laughs> assuming that all of these guys are back in the mix. My assumption is that the Houston Astros would be fine. If they kind of skimper in, maybe they're a wild card team instead of the division. But my assumption is that they'll be a playoff team. Well, it's you know what the talking point is going to be when they get to the playoffs? Oh, it's their first appearance since the cheating scandal. And that's going to constantly be a talking point. People are not going to forget. If George Springer decides to leave in free agency, you you can bet the mortgage that a talking point is going to be, oh, let's see how he does outside of the confines of Houston. And I'm not, I'm not talking about the Crawford boxes, Rory. You know what I'm talking about. And <laughs> so, and it's just a general thing. It's like, this isn't going to be forgotten. As long as Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Carlos Correa, even, even just one of those dudes, as long as one of those dudes, as long as they're on that team. And even in the case of Altuve, this is probably like Altuve, Bregman, Correa, this is probably going to be a black mark on their entire career to the point where I wouldn't be surprised if they're getting booed if they jump to another team. People aren't going to forget. 
they're going through it now with no fans in the stands. They're showing signs of cra- showing signs. I'm not going to say definitively that they are cracking because we don't know what's going on inside these guys' heads, except for Altuve. It seems kind of evident that he's going through it. But they're showing signs. They're showing cracks. And me and you are on Twitter. We know how people like to beat, pe- beat people when we're down. Once fans get in the stands next year, assuming that it happens in 2021, they're going full throttle. All of that. I'm glad you brought up Twitter, though, because I actually think that's the more damaging part of the whole shame tour is as bad as booing is, like players can deal with booing, even if it's vicious and consistent. I think logging on every time on the internet and every time you post something, every time you do anything, there's going to be some comments about cheater, liar, fraud. That accumulation of all that name-calling, whether you think it's fair or unfair, that gets you as a human being. There's no way it doesn't. And knowing professional athletes, they spend more time on their phones than anyone. They're traveling all the time. They have tons of downtime. They are well aware of the way they're perceived in public, especially online. And – you know, it's it's definitely gotten to them. And I think a lot of them know that they sinned against the baseball gods, that they were part of a cheating scandal, that they scapegoated Alex Cora, A.J. Hinch, Jeff Lonhow. A lot of these players got away with it. They know they got away with it, even if they project strength and innocence outwardly. That wears on you after a while mentally, psychologically. And you're seeing it with dudes like Altuve. I would not be surprised if you see it in the same way with Bregman, Springer, all the major pieces there. It's just it's 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 an infection. That yeah, they are full on getting cyberbullied. That's the like I feel like that's as the, they should, to be honest. Like yo, and in regards to kind of what I was saying in terms of like the fans not being in the stands. It's like that meme. It's like, you haven't even seen my final form. <laughs> exactly. It's only, like, again, we're, we're operating under the assumption that there are going to be fans in the stands in 2021. Not, and not even to wood. project super far, but, like, imagine when these guys come up for Hall of Fame candidacy. What's going to be the first thing? I was just talking about that thing. today. It's going to be like, is this on level with steroids, like, where you can't let them in? Like or my, someone, Kurt Schilling, just being such a garbage human being that you're like, nah. Like, like my kind of my thoughts specifically on Al, on Altuve and Bregman because I feel like they, as of right now, as well as Correa, I think those three. Well, I mean, that's basically the 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 court the main quartet. Yeah. But if if we zero in on Altuve in particular, I think Altuve just under regular circumstances, he wasn't exactly like a a complete lock. I think that especially in the latter half of his career, a lot of things would have had to turn out right for him to have. A career, He's especially in some boxes, though. Yeah, especially as a short guy, just because of like how, like questions like how is your game going to age? Are you going to be able to play into your like early thirties? Depend, like considering the type of game that you play, right? And how it's kind of gravitated towards leaning a little bit more on power. But because of all that's happened, even if he was to make like the three thousand hit mark, even if he was to I don't know, hypothetically win like World Series MVP and have like a historic performance. Like even if all of that was to happen, a lot of voters 
and we have to acknowledge that voters are biased human beings. Like we have implicit bias, as you saw with the on ESPN maybe the other day. Some some voters like to have narrative based voting. We're not going to get into that, but I can imagine for a lot of voters, just considering any of these guys is just going to be a non-starter. And the only Astros they're going to think about nominating are the pitchers, Verlander and Granke. So. I wouldn't be surprised if however many years from now, when they're finally eligible, that a lot of voters are just like, nah. Yeah. You, you I, don't, I don't feel bad for them. I don't feel bad for them, but I, I think it's going to play a role. And I think you should, in terms of how their kind of role as villains, one like very overlooked aspect of this entire thing is that they have just completely ruined like flat out ruined all of these rookies like debut like i mentioned they have like 10 rookies in like in the bullpen now and all of them are just gonna get thrown into this mix of houston and like they're just like inadvertently like being villainized too and like they're it's like the the little uzi vert means like it's only my third day out here it's like i I wasn't part of that nonsense you know where i wasn't (laughs) I wasn't even drafted in 2017. What are we talking about here? Uh, I mean, uh, probably some of them were like, had been drafted, but it's like, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's why I'm like, it sucks that Dusty has to be a part of it too. Cause it's just like, man, you weren't even managing back then. You were just out here chilling. Now you have to defend these, these punks, these cheaters. It sucks. Yeah. It sucks for everyone who wasn't actually a part of it, but still, if you have an H on your hat, you're going to deal with that for a long time. I mean, at least Dusty got his option picked up, so he's going to be getting some bread. So he's got that coming his way. Keep getting them checks. Keep getting them checks. Keep getting after the bread. But while uh, <laughs> Loriano and Cintron were doing some kind of illegal things on the field, if we're going by the CDC guidelines, baseball's health and safety protocols, while they were doing some kind of illegal things on the field, Zach Plezak and Mike Clevenger, they were doing some illegal things off the field, and I'm not talking about drugs, kids. After Plezak's start uh, last Saturday against the Chicago White Sox, the starter violated health and safety protocol by going out with some friends. Not only did he get dinner with his friends, but he also went over to a friend's house. And Plezak wasn't riding solo, as he also was with rotation mate Mike Clevenger, who was outed the day after Plesak. Now, today, uh, Plesak took to social media to quote-unquote clear the air and share his side of the events. But, Rory, I don't know if you saw the video. Did you Did you see the video? I've read the quotes. I haven't watched the full video. I know you sent it to me, but... I watched the video. I'm going to spare you the... The quotes aren't know. good. You don't got to waste the six minutes. I'll, I'll, I did that for you. Six minutes, too? Like, yo, that's so long, dude. So he didn't exactly paint himself in a great light, and he also implicated himself. So he, for, for, first and foremost, he blamed the media for uh, dragging his name through the mud, which don't blame the media for something that you did. This was completely your doing. Second off, He's recording and driving, which you've already violated one health and safety protocol. (laughs) Why are you violating? Good point, actually. But the cherry on top, the piece de resistance. But when he was recording, when this man was recording, did you notice that he had no seatbelt on? My man. Oh, my man. 
You violate that's three. Three. That's three strikes, bro. You're out. You violated, you violated the one for your organization, and then you violated two of just general human decency. So, Rory, I just have one question to uh, Plesak and Clevenger. I don't know if you saw the video where the dude threw the, the wedding ring and it went in the water, but there's a soundbite. I'm, I'm going to play you that soundbite real quick. <laughs> okay. this, is, this is my question. The deep references, as this always. Is, this is my question. Are you stupid? Why? <laughs> just, okay. Just, oh my God, Rory. Rory. So, th- there's so many elements to this. The video you broke down beautifully. I didn't even think about the seatbelt part. That is so That really makes it even worse. Which, all right, before you get into that, I just want to say this as a general thing. There have been way too many professional athletes, specifically that I've seen in like the NBA, who have done like the recording while driving thing. I know that everybody wants to be Casey Neistat. I know that everybody wants to have the nice professional shots. But, man, you want Snapchat. That's not how it works. When you have a professional camera, you click and you put it there, and it's a wrap. You got to hold that Snapchat button. You got to hold that video button. Stop it with the recording and driving. I don't care if you got a mount. Just chill out with the recording and driving, please. They're always, like, singing to, like, rapping. It's just like, dude. Who it's wants like, to, Who do you think enjoys this? Like, it's not even good content. And it's like, you can tell with, like, how often their eyes are shifting up to the road that they're not even, like, you're not even being cool while you do it. It's like, you can, like, you care too much about your safety right now to look. Yeah. Like. <laughs> it's so whack. It's so whack. But yeah. I want to know. So let's break this down. Police Hatch gets caught coming back. So basically, they have a game. Did he pitch in? He pitched in the game on Saturday. Okay. He went out for dinner. He went over to his friend's house. He went out for dinner Saturday night. Saturday night, and then he went to his friend's house same night, and then he violated curfew. So he goes out to dinner. He goes to his friend's house. Oh, wait. I, there's, there's one more detail that I forgot to mention. Yeah. In the video, one of his rationales as to, like, why it was fine, I guess. Was a social distance. That's a quote I read. Well, here's, well, here's the thing. It's, he mentions – he mentions in the video that like he asked like some doctor who tested him, like what is Ohio's like protocols? Like what is considered a safe gathering? And he looked it up and he found that it's 10 people or fewer. Now he was with eight people, including himself. And he went out to dinner again. So eight people is fewer than 10. But what he also mentioned is that for in the state of Ohio, for something to be considered safe, it's 10 or fewer and six feet distance so at dinner you're probably not distancing and when you go to someone's house you most definitely are not distancing especially indoor especially like, no like he said out. they were opening up baseball cards it's like are you gonna like in a house like it's it's just chicago it's like it's going actually it's chicago in the summertime but like still it's like it's gonna get cold like you can't have the friends outside like you're, you're going to be in close chambers yeah but so he goes out. Clevenger's there, right? To get this straight, Clevenger is with him. Clevenger gets back in the hotel, does not get caught by whoever the headmaster is. I imagine this is like Hogwarts and like the Cleveland Indian Snape found Plesak, did not find Clevenger. Clevenger says nothing gets on the team flight for their next road trip 
puts everyone at risk on the team. Never mind that Clevenger is now like one of the veteran leaders on this Cleveland Indians team that's gone through big changes since their World Series run. Doesn't say anything. Had multiple times to tell people if he was a part of it. Chose to lie every single time. Then belatedly we find out he was a part of it too. That makes it even worse. You lied to your teammates and the fans. Never mind like the people who are actually in charge of enforcing these rules. Police at your, you made a bad decision. Like he's just a complete dumb shit for doing that. And clearly thinks he's above it all. And is just like, yo, I'm an MLB pitcher. Just won a game. I'm going to live my life. Clevenger. You did that and put everyone at risk coming back and lied about it, including to your manager and teammates. And I believe you saw uh, one of the, like, number four, number five starting pitcher for the Indians. His name is escaping me right now. Oh, Came out. Oh, no, right? Adam, Adam Plutko. I actually, have yeah. the, I actually have the quote in front of me. Yeah, read that. Hey, Adam, how, how did Mike and Zach get back your trust? I think that's a question for Mike and Zach. Um, I, I mean, they, they hurt us bad. Uh, they lied to us. They – um, sat here in, in front of you guys and, and publicly said things that they didn't follow through on. And um, it's, it's going to be up to them. Uh, it, it really is. And, um, you know, I'll let them sit here and tell you how they're going to earn their trust back. Um, I don't need to put words in their mouths. Um, you know, the term that I continue to hear and excuse my language is grown-ass man, right? So those grown-ass men can sit here and tell you guys what happened and tell you guys um, what they're going to do to fix it. And I don't, I don't need to do that for them. That is as heated a quote and as spicy a quote you will ever get in a baseball press conference, especially about teammate to teammate. And you, like, you'd expect them to be like, you know what, we're, we're going to keep this in-house, work through it. Like, he's like, no, full on, these guys sucked. They lied to all of us. And they're going to have to earn their trust back because they lost it. And you want to, like, for me personally, and, and this is my thoughts on it, the worst part of this, do you know who's on, on this team? Lindor? Carlos Carrasco. And we know, oh. we know what Carlos Carrasco has. Carlos Carrasco is the definition of a high-risk individual. Yeah, this is a dude who, this is a, Carlos Carrasco, I'm not going to say he's a dude. This is a man who, given his high-risk condition, elected to not opt out in the season because he knew how much his team needed him. And he has been fan. This entire road, the thing that is incredibly head-scratching is that this entire rotation has been, like, fantastic, too. Shane and for, Bieber, like, unbelievable. Like, Shane Bieber, like, if we're just going into the baseball aspect of it, Shane Bieber, Mike Clevenger, Carlos Carrasco, Adam Plutko, Zach just a, it's a fantastic rotation and for this to happen by their rotation mates it's like we kind of know how it's kind of like how in football it's like everyone kind of just the receivers go with the receivers like the linemen right. with the linemen it's like that's like of all the brothers on your team that is your dude and like Carlos Carrasco this is like he's one of baseball's stand-up individuals he's not gonna have a Plutko type quote he's probably gonna try to de-escalate the situation as best as he can but 
I just it's disgusting, that, dude. It's and despicable like behavior. Clevenger, someone is immunocompromised to do that. Clevenger's been on this team for a. He was on the team when it happened with Cookie last year. Like you were there for all of this. That's what pisses me. I think Clevenger is a worse offender in a way because it's like, dude, you're supposed to be one of the veteran leaders on this team. Like, kind of taken over to be a voice and a leader for the team, and you go and act like a rookie. Like, yo, go out on the town, go have some, like, act like everything's normal. And you're right. Like, your teammate, one of your fellow pitchers is immunocompromised, and you're out here acting like a dumbass, literally putting his life at risk. Mike Clevenger, you are a profoundly selfish dude to do that. And he should be stripped of, like, any respect he had in the locker room because clearly he doesn't give a shit. He just cares about himself. And going out, like, that's the other thing that blows my mind. Like, how is this worth it? Like, the risk-reward ratio here? Like, how good is this food? How great is this party? How great is this hangout? Does any of that come close to your a life, a human life, and rules, and – maintaining the baseball season with everyone's money at stake it's already hanging on by a thread so especially who you know what team is in their same region the cardinals like, what did we just what did what we, are we doing the Cardinals? what are we doing how like y'all are, like you've seen it firsthand like the teams that the in like the, the indians just played the cubs and the cubs have had to cancel like postpone series you were like you faced off against teams that have had to like shuffle as a result of the Cardinals. So, and this was, this was the thing with the Cardinals and with the Marlins too, and to a lesser extent with the Phillies, it shouldn't like, you would imagine that that, that's like, that's a wake up call. Like to how easily just like one, like one domino falling can like mess up the entire stack. I think it hints at how few of these baseball players won actually think they're like normal people they literally think they're above because they're professional athletes they're above the rules for everyone else and secondly it's kind of dark but i think a lot of baseball players probably don't even believe this is real or believe it's overblown and like media like nonsense which is sad but like knowing what we know about professional athletes and their tendency to believe in conspiracies and all this sort of nonsense. I think that probably explains a lot of it too. Well, we've said it a lot of times on this show, sports mirror society. So you can bet the mortgage on the fact that there are a lot of guys in these locker rooms who don't believe that COVID is a real thing. I'm not going to try to guess who, but there are probably, there are more judging by the actions. We could say that some of these like Clevenger, doesn't at least doesn't take it serious and just to kind of pin a bow on this point one of the points that Plesak made was that people are calling him like a bad person that like he's a bad person because of this and I'm of the opinion that this doesn't make you like your actions like in this circumstance they don't make you like a bad person like in and of itself but you could have killed your teammate but you literally could have killed them but it's so incredibly selfish, so incredibly stupid, and you need to be held 
responsible for those actions. This doesn't make you a bad person, but you need to be held responsible for what you did, especially considering what the fallout could potentially be. He said that he tested negative twice, which thank goodness. And I'm assuming like, or I would like to hope that Clevenger uh, tested negative as well, but it's like, just the, like how quickly things could have just fallen fallen apart. It is it is incredibly. It sucks too because I actually always like Clevenger. He's always like a fun little character. But now I'm just like, you know what, dude? You're out here putting your teammate's life at risk. Like, you're done. If Bauer still has his episode with Clevenger on his show, then it might be a spicy little episode if they still decide to run that one. I hope they do. <laughs> it might be a little spicy one. So this entire Plesak Clevenger ordeal, also considering like the allegations of uh, Cardinals players going to casinos, this all could have been avoided if there, if major league baseball followed uh, the NBA's model of the bubble. And I think both of me and you are in agreement that with 30 teams, it's, a, it's very difficult for that to happen, but we might have one in the not so distant future. There has been reports that there may be a bubble for the postseason teams in the greater Chicago area that also includes Milwaukee. And so this is kind of a two-pronged question. So we've, we've made it a third of the way through the season, and, you know, we've had some scrapes, we've had some bumps in the road, but we're, you know, we're, Major League Baseball is still progressing. So the one front is I want to ask you, are, what is your opinion in regards to a postseason still being played? And then from there, regardless of whether or not you think we make it to the postseason or not, what are your thoughts on the idea of having 16 teams in a bubble? 16 Major League Baseball teams. I want to preface that because having uh, Major League Baseball teams is a lot different than having NBA teams. Yeah. Well, um, I think we will make it to the postseason because it seems like baseball is going to keep chugging along. No matter what, the fact that we got through this Cardinals thing, which I thought potentially met the end of the season, and the Marlins thing, even I was like, "Oh God!" I thought it, I thought it was a wrap, like right then and there. Yeah, I really we did, and, it, and maybe it should have been a wrap, honestly, by public health standards. But baseball seems to be like, you know what? This is going to happen. We're just going to push through, make it to the finish line, get our TV money. So I'd say playoffs probably happen. As far as the idea of 16 teams being in a bubble, I think that's the best you can hope for. If you are going to play baseball, try to do it in a bubble. Like you said, NBA to MLB is not necessarily the same, but it's a model that you can sort of replicate that I think has a higher chance of success than if you're traveling across the country or across state lines, like keep it in one or two ballparks, isolate them as much as possible, quarantine them for like a week before the playoffs actually start. Things like that, that makes it doable a lot more than what they're doing right now where teams are just flying from place to place, which is actually the most dangerous part of this whole thing. So I actually like the bubble idea. It would have been great if we had the bubble from the start, honestly. Maybe we don't get a Marlins situation. Maybe we don't get all of these COVID outbreaks that we've had if we had a bubble in the first place. 
Yeah, and it's it's a little more difficult for Major League Baseball to institute a bubble just because of the pure logistics of it. Like a Major League team, assuming that it's not some expanded roster, that's 26 players plus the coaching staff, plus the trainers, plus everything that goes into it. So maybe you're looking at somewhere in the mix of like 50 players or 50 like personnel, probably even more than that. And then you start getting into the fact that that's 30 teams and trying to find somewhere where that many people can congregate. That's isolated. That's an incredibly difficult proposition. Is that impossible? I'm not, I'm not an expert, so I can't say in that regard, but there, I also feel like if they were to implement some sort of bubble system, if you were to find enough stadiums, just have a system where and this is kind of under the assumption that like if this was to happen like next season maybe do something where you kind of rotate games throughout the day just so like you have a game that's played manicure the stadium real quick get another team in there now obviously that's difficult in and of itself just because you gotta you have the the clubhouses that need to be sanitized but so even as I'm saying it like I'm just kind of like poking holes in like how Difficult, but it's better than the alternative, right? The status quo we have right now, where it's a lot of travel. Like, if you're gonna play, it's already fundamentally flawed, but you can make it a little less flawed in a bubble, I suppose. Would the argument be? I do kind of, there is a part of me that thinks if Major League Baseball is to complete its season, then if this was to have to be implemented next year, then they would know what steps to make because this is like everybody's learning on the fly in every professional sports league. So maybe if they had to do this next season and they didn't want to institute it in a bubble format, they would have, they would institute certain positions from the jump. They would have someone that has to oversee teams when they're on the road for the jump. That someone could be like kind of like a third party individual. Like, like say for example, they hire like someone that like lives in Cleveland and their job is to oversee a team when they get to a hotel in Cleveland, regardless of where that hotel might be, instead of leaving it up to the players themselves. Or I'm trying to think of like what else, like, or. I mean, you could do regions, right? Like, like they're sort of doing now, but keep it to even like, even more limited ballparks. Like you're only doing the Scottsdale spring training facilities. You're only doing the Florida spring training facilities. Maybe you're doing like, the Chicago ballparks too, stuff like that, New York ballparks. That's another way to cut down on the travel even more so. I mean, what what you want is people traveling as little as possible so that they're interacting with as few human beings as possible and control it as much as you can. Yeah, and so I feel like with every kind of segment that we have, it's very much a matter of if, and it's a super big if at that. It's like if we make it to the postseason – Maybe we'll have a bubble and let's see kind of how that operates. But we'll kind of, as the weeks progress, and if there's any traction on this idea of a bubble, we'll update and flush out the details of how that may go about. Uh, we're going to have a World Series in Buffalo. Oh, God. <laughs> you know what I was thinking, though? I don't know if you see the aerial shots of the NBA games, but there's all these other athletic complexes next to it. There's tons of baseball fields there. Why not go Disney World, just do what the NBA did, literally, like, NBA season ends, put the World Series there, put the playoffs there, have them do the same thing, 
you can have multiple games at the same time on different fields, like one of those massive baseball tournaments. You get like ESPN the Ocho showing the wild card game. You get ESPN showing the divisional matchup. Like, I I would love that. Just do it at Disney World. I That's do. Like- my only time that you should go to Florida if it's going to be Disney World <laughs> in a bubble. I do like the aspect of the College World Series where it's kind of you have all of these teams that kind of congregate in the area. That's kind of like a tight little experience with like Williamsport, you know? It's great. So if a bubble is meant to contain, I want to talk about something that no one can contain right now. Is that a little bit of an exaggeration? Maybe a little bit of an exaggeration. But Fernando? No, it's not. That's accurate. I know that Mike Trout. This man's swag cannot be contained. I know that Mike Trout's got his little his little dad energy going on right now, but <laughs> Josh Literally. Josh said it in Josh said it a couple months ago. His pick for MVP, one of his picks for MVP was Fernando Tatis Jr. What a great pick! And didn't we kind of laugh at him? We're like, nah, dude. Like, a little bit. We laughed at him a little bit, but looking back on it right now, that was one hell of a pick. I guess me. I I was laughing because I was like, these Padres are gonna be trash. Like they're not actually gonna be good. They've been decent. I think – and we can even get into, like, a larger conversation on the Padres, but, like, before getting into that, I just want to center around, like, the phenomenon that is Fernando Tatis. He had his breakout season last year before he had an injury-shortened season. If not for the fact that he was injured, he would have ran away with MVP, in my opinion, even with Pete Alonso breaking the rookie single-season home run record just because of how electrifying he was on the Bates pass, his swag at the play, his ability at the play, his prowess at the play, his defensive gem. One of the things I, – I was in love with his base running last year. Like, I watched oh, – his like, base running is – the dude does not care. He's just going to keep running. The, watching him just slide in with his helmet flying off and he's got the, like, reflector sunglasses – and he's just jumping like the most athletic. It's on there. You go. <laughs> I wish the listeners the, could see this. The listeners right can't now. see it. I'll post this when when I post it on Twitter. But like, I got these glasses. They're, these are actually made in San Diego. This brand is called Blenders. Yo. So Tatis is the most electrifying player I've seen in a long time. And I feel like it's a little early to make like the Griffey comparisons and not necessarily in terms of like how good he is, but necessarily in terms of more like the cultural icon perspective. And there are some like valid similar, like dissimilarities between Fernando Tatis Jr. And Ken Griffey Jr. But like me and you both know that I love players who got that 80 grade swag, like the Tim Anderson, we both do Ronald Acuna Jr. The Yasiel Puig's of the world, the guys who play with that flair, that fire, and we know that Major League Baseball isn't exactly the best at promoting players or rather than promoting or kind of allowing guys to be that type of player, be that kind of aura. Now, I, do I think it's loosening up more? I think it is loosening up more. I think there's kind of hope on that front, especially after he pimped the hell out of that one home run against the Dodgers because if this was olden times, this man would have That won. was an amazing bat flip. This like, man would have got The execution on that bat flip was exquisite. That was perfect. Exquisite. And – for Major League Baseball, like, what is – what's one of their biggest things? You want to get that younger generation. And if there's someone to usher – like, usher in that new generation, honestly, who better in the game right now than Fernando Tatis Jr.? He is Major League Baseball's marketing dream. 
he's young. I believe he's either 20 or 21. He's definitely, he's definitely 21. He's 20. That's my age. And now I feel sad. (laughs) (laughs) I know it sucks. He's exciting. Not like he's got the electrifying base running. He's got like the bat. It's not even a bat flip. It's kind of like just the, the bat saunter. I don't even know. Bat pimp. The bat pimp. He's got the, he's got the signature fashion, which I think goes a long way. He's got those like snow goggle type sunglasses, which, when I like the thing is, I'm holding up the the sunglasses right now for the listeners who can't hear. But when I bought these, do you know what I called them? I called them for the Fernando Tatis Jr. glasses. I think like these types of glasses are kind of going to get associated him, particularly when it comes to baseball. We also have to consider that he is a player of color, so that's going to resonate with a lot of younger fans that are of color, as well as potentially some older fans who are of color, and. I think what you see now is great hair too. Great hair Don't too. Forget that that goes into the fashionable aspect yep. of it. He also has arguably he also plays with arguably the best uniform in baseball. Can we just oh, like so, we need to take like, like so five nice. seconds to acknowledge these Padre uniforms? Arguably the best rebrand of our lifetimes. Like now, I'm not talking about like an alternate. Cause they've had some of the worst uniforms before that. Honestly, like I was not a fan of the Padres uniforms during like the, most of our life. Gonzalez ones. Like they were just kind of, kind of whack, kind of whack to me. They weren't bad, but they were just basic. They were just boring. Now this is like a throwback to their nineties, Tony Gwynn days. Like when they went to the world series in 96 or whatever, bring it back. The Brown, the yellow, they're looking like UPS in the best way. It's so swaggy. I love it. It's so swaggy, but I'm really like, I don't know like how to put a definitive like ceiling on Fernando Tatis Jr. Well, you did mention Ken, Ken Griffey. So <laughs> is, is that, that that's the more, ceiling? That's more in the sense of like the aura of Ken Griffey Jr. In terms of like him being like that cultural icon. They also have the same background, right? So Fernando Tatis Jr., implies that there's a Fernando Tatis Sr. who did play in the majors, I believe. So you've got that similar background. Um, they honestly, that- they run their, the gravity they have on the field where it seems like the field gets smaller when they're on it and like everyone else is living in their space is the same way. Obviously, shortstop versus center field is not the same, but. Yeah, I think when it comes to, like, the best player in the games, I feel as if there's kind of a disposition to where that that title belongs more so to outfielders. And if you look at, like, the just in this millennium, like, it's Barry Bonds and Mike Trout. Well, right, arguably right. Barry Bonds because he was at the end of his prime and it was more just his home run hitting days. But same point kind of remains. It's like you think Bonds, Griffey Jr., Trout, and then if you go historically, you think guys like Mays and Mantle people and then if you want to go like maybe like a ricky henderson type like players of that nature that's the other thing tatis jr kind of reminds me of a dude out of the 90s or late 80s like eric davis ken griffey young barry bonds like there it seems there used to be a ton of those dudes and like you know ricky henderson like base stealing was de-emphasized being like ballsy on the base pass with the emphasize obviously the swag and the style was kind of like frowned upon and as we saw less african americans in the game we sort of lost a lot of that fun and that swag too and that's sort of what's been missing and to see 
Tatis bring that back in a major way, obviously in his own way, uh, has been amazing. It's been – I mean, we've loved him as Giants fans. We've seen a lot of Fernando Tatis. And from the moment he came up, he's been a joy to watch. Like, I – I don't even care when he hits a homer against us. I'm just like, dude, this guy is a monster. Like, I love – you just can't take your eyes off the screen when he's playing, and that's what baseball needs. Yeah, and in terms of, like, the Griffey comparisons, I do think that – like, I don't think, like, he will be able to kind of replicate Griffey's cultural standing just because baseball was obviously more prominent in the 90s as well as – I remember it was – Who knows, though? I don't know. Don't put, don't put a ceiling on it. I do want to say also uh, Clinton Yates. I was listening on uh, the Cespedes uh, barbecue. Like right. he was talking about how it was like kind of a moment in terms of like black baseball players, like how Griffey was like the centerpiece of that cultural moment. So I think like the circumstances are definitely different, both in terms of who, who Fernando Tatis is. Cause also one of the differentiating factors is like, who was Fernando Tatis's dad versus who was Griffey's dad. And also, to an extent, who was, like, Barry Bonds' dad. Yeah. But I definitely, like... Wow, now we're bringing Barry Bonds into it, too. <laughs> this is how good Tatis is. He's 21. Like, you want me to get nerd corner on you right now? Uh, he's the sole leader in total bases, 52. War, 1.6. Second in slugging percentage, 776. Third in WRC+, plus, 216. He's also topping an average exit velocity, 97.6 miles per hour. Hard to hit rate, 67%. 96% percentile or higher in barrel rate, which is like around 23%. Expected slugging percentage and expected WOBA, 421. Like, my man, I know it hasn't been that many games, but he is on a tear the stats think, back it up, and the eye test certainly backs it up. And if you look at the kind of crop of, like, really good young players in the game, I'm talking about Cody Bellinger, Ronald Acuna Jr., Juan Soto. If you're looking at that crop of guys, it's not far-fetched to say that Fernando Tatis, even in – because he hasn't even played – I don't even believe he's played, like, 100 career games, or if he has – I think he just did, actually, because yeah, I was reading like, some stuff about it. Yeah. He played, like, in the 80s last year, and as I said, it's we're in the 20s now. And it definitely is, like, too – like, a little too early to definitive say just because you're talking about someone in Cody Bellinger who's won an MVP, Juan Soto who thrived in the postseason, Ron Lacuna Jr. who was flirting with the 40-40 season. All three of them have been all-stars. But – if you're trying, if you want to take a guess as to who is going to be the best player in the post Trout era, now when is that post Trout era? Like we don't know. This man, <laughs> never this man had a kid and just decided I'm going to become like I'm going to become a baseball. But guy. as far as the next era, like whatever you want to call it, like he's going to be at the vanguard of that. I think. Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting to see how, or if, if rather, if he gets kind of bunched together into because like when you think of like errors like you think of like specific guys like if you were doing like 2000s like the guys that would come to mind would be like Jeter and Pujols for example like those were the guys and even if Tatis Jr. isn't the best player in the game in like five years or so he's definitely going to be one of those faces of the game and 
if your faces of the game in the year 2025, and this is just, this isn't even including like top prospects. I, mean, I don't even, I'm not even getting into like Luis Robert and people of that nature. If your faces of the game in 2025 are Fernando Tatis Jr., Juan Soto, and Raul Acuna Jr., I feel like Major League Baseball, not even from like a gameplay perspective, but from a marketing standpoint, is that's going a lot better than Pujols and Jeter. Place. Especially because, especially with like just the the fun, the joy, the swag that they exhibit. It's exactly. Just, it's on another level compared to Jeter, and in some ways, in some ways, Fernando Tatis Jr. Like, if we're going by shortstop comparisons, now that you mentioned Jeter, it feels like they're polar opposites. Like, they're oh, they like, they, they both have that, like, face of the game, like, potential. Like, Jeter was definitely the face of the game. Fernando Tatis Jr. can be the face of the game. But I feel like, in an interesting way, this, like, if those two are to be the faces of the game, Jeter in the early 2000s and Fernando Tatis in the 20s, it's a really interesting contrast between where baseball was in terms of what you were saying, how there was kind of that lack of swag, so to say, and this exciting new era where like having the swag is kind of normalized. And if that's kind of the era that we're exhibiting in, I'm all for it. Yeah, no, I, I think baseball is in a good place actually when you look at marketable stars. And like you said, you mentioned Robert. I still, I don't know if it's Robert. Still it's waiting Robert. for co- it's Robert. It's Robert. We found out it's Robert. We did we? Okay, that's disappointing. Robert is so much funner to say, but like baseball's in a good place with these dudes coming up. Um, if Martin if that Sol- happens to be the face, yeah, how do you say Donovan Solano? And we've said, hey, Marco Luciano yeah. is getting some Ronald Acuna Jr. comparisons. So, hey, is he really? Wow, he is. And if we're talking prospects, I always want to throw like. Dustin May in the mix. I want to throw also like look at Seattle. Like one of these dudes is gonna hit in Seattle to bring it all the way back to Kyle. Lewis. Like making, Kyle Lewis, he's making a run, good, bro. Yeah, there's a lot of dudes. Baseball, it's in a good place. And I know Joe Adele looks like garbage right now, but you know, under the wing of Mike Trout, maybe he turns into something too. So Tatis though is Mike Trout's number one advice: have a kid. There we go. <laughs> Have a kid and then hit like five home runs. Increase your superpower after that. Yeah. Tatis though is like I'm who do you think was like him when we were younger as far as just like electrifying on the base paths and just personality wise? Like I struggle to think. I don't think anyone like was. Ichiro in his own way, but he was not like Tatis with the swag. Maybe like Jose Reyes? I, yeah. But it's like he's like Jose Reyes, yeah. is like not he didn't have the peak. I was like Omar Vizquel was the shortstop, like flashy shortstop, but like Omar Vizquel also looked like, like your dad, like especially when he was on the Giants when we were kids. Like, and Vizquel, he didn't really have like the same like he had like swagger, but like in his own like condensed kind of way. And when I think about that, it is interesting. Like if Jeter was the head of the two thousands and how he was kind of this. Now that I think about it, like a kind of not super interesting dude, I kind of. I mean, now that you think about it, but yeah. I I mean, I like, I honestly, I never reflected on it until like right now. He's literally the most boring superstar. First of all, he was not even the best shortstop of his era. A-Rod was so much better than him at shortstop, yet A-Rod had to move to third, like whatever, that's a rant for later, but like. 
Jeter, like just boring as hell, but like and this that is was what... kind of his brand. And that set the stage for Mike Trout, to be honest, to be boring. Yeah, and then and so like when we're talking about like who had that swagger growing up, it's like if Jeter was the face of baseball and everybody kind of fell in line. There wasn't a lot of this, honestly. And like looking at the players that Niger Morgan, because he was crazy. Like, <laughs> I don't know who you want to say. Like, yeah. Like if you think of some of the guys from the early two thousands, like there's a part of me that feels like dudes like Vladimir Guerrero, senior, not junior, David Ortiz. Even to, like they're such different. Like that's the other thing but, about. But this is what I mean. Kids. I feel like they're brawlers. Like, I feel like there was a lot of untapped, like flamboyance that they kind of bottled up a little bit because of kind of how the fate. Like if that was how Jeter is operating, that's how Major League Baseball is kind of going to operate. Totally, and also but, just the style. Like everyone roided up like you got a lot of big like tatis is young spry slim like people weren't stealing bases even that much when we were kids you know what i mean or running the bases like that like a gazelle it's definitely a breath of like this younger generation it feels weird to say this younger generation because like we're the same age as them. our generation but i think the fact that we're saying like this is the breath of fresh air is an indication that the the baseball that we watched while we were growing up was not conducive to this electrifying atmosphere. Bro, and isn't Tatis the guy you show to your friends who don't like baseball? Tatis is going to – I feel like Tatis is going to become, like, the household name for a lot of non-baseball fans. Right. And so here's – I think here's an interesting point to come out of this too, is we kind of became baseball fans during an era of baseball, as we're saying right now that wasn't super exciting, which means it's not as, not necessarily, I don't think accessible is the right word, but it's not as easy to grasp on if you're kind of teetering as to what should be your sport. If you're growing up like right, if you're like a 10 year old right now and you're looking up and you see Acuna, Soto, Robert, Fernando Tatis, Bellinger, who had a little swag. Um, I'm trying to think of like more. I mean, Mike Trout just being the best baseball player ever, like, Helps too, you know? And else, even and if he's boring, but just be like, yo, getting to watch that. And then even he's like complimented by, well, even like there's Shohei too. Shohei. In the Shohei. That's exciting in its own way. So if you're growing up like right now watching baseball, like I think, I feel like the theme of our kind of coming of age right now into this era of baseball, it's just new, refreshing, exciting. And it's like, that's kind of the, this, like, kind of the, the analytics era. We kind of call, call this, like, the analytics era, but I feel like, in a way, we can also dub this, like, the, like, the exciting era, like, the flashy era. To the point yeah. where, like, even some, you know, someone who just came to mind, Dansby Swanson, like, even someone like him, like, he's not, like, he's far from, like, entering, like, the best player of, like, the generation conversation, but even he's got, like, a little bit of, he's, he's got a little swagger to him, and even, like, Someone I don't that, know why that just reminded me of Brandon Phillips. I know he's a second baseman, not a shortstop, but Brandon, Brandon Phillips had so much swag around the way he would like play around. Ahead of his time, he and was then, so ahead of his time. And then we also forget like Bryce Harper, like he had that like little flam- like he's kind of cooled down, he's mellowed down a little bit, but he had that flamboyance to him. And then you yeah. have like pitchers who like they are they're not afraid to shred. You got Mad Max that's like grunting as all hell, 
You got Jeremy Jeffries, who like this is a super like <laughs> very far from like the best player in baseball. Yeah. No disrespect. Oh, uh, what's the dude on the Braves? His Toussaint or uh oh, Tuki Toussaint. I man, yo, I was that's got, like the that's a swaggy pitcher, right? He there. got lit up by the Yankees the game that I was watching. I was doing some clips, but like his delivery, he's got I like his stuff. He's got some swag in his delivery, and I really like it. Once he gets command, he's going to be scary. But He seems like a great personality, too. So, But speaking of personalities and command, I think the last topic, the last major topic that I want to hit is Zach Greinke. We're, we're going to go back to the Houston Astros, but this is going to be less about the Astros and more about Zach Greinke the, the, as a concept, as kind of – so if we're talking about electrifying and exciting, that's kind of – I don't want necessarily lowest common denominator stuff, but, like, you can definitely get into that if you're not a, a super big fan of baseball. You can watch Fernando Tatis Jr. with his little glasses. I'm going to throw my glasses on, too, just because I feel like it. <laughs> so you can great. definitely watch Fernando Tatis with his glasses. You can definitely Didn't watch Did Henderson him. wear those, too? He did. I think he did. <laughs> he wore some variation of it. It's him. a great legacy. It's a great little legacy. But you can watch them and be like, man, this is exciting. But if we want to get into the like the hipster, the, like the Portland, Seattle, Colorado type type beat, if we want to get into the ice lattes, if we want to get into the IPAs, the charcuterie board type baseball, that's Zach Granke. And I think both of us are fans of Zach Granke in the sense that he is he's kind of an enigma. He's almost like an anti baseball player in a sense. We love an anti human. Like, the man does not like people. Like, if, if you don't know anything about Zach Greinke, just look up his, his uh, Chipotle guacamole quote, which, side note, I actually got some Chipotle with guac today, so I think I let them win. But, <laughs> <laughs> but Zach Greinke, he, he started off as kind of a power pitcher with some command, but now he's became a finesse pitcher who's, like, change up is faster than his fastball. That's just the duty he is. He's entertaining to watch. He has... Literally Basketball. calling out his pitches before he pitches them. This is what this is the th- this thing I want to get into. So this isn't this kind of this isn't necessarily new. It's kind of like art. Like there's never anything that's truly new when it comes to art. Like every like every generation kind of mimics the last in some sense. Like we all know the story of how Satchel Paige would kind of like call his infield in just because like <laughs> you like he knew that you knew that you weren't gonna hit his stuff, but and, and, like, I don't know why Zach Greinke's doing it. He's done it on multiple occasions where he's called out what pitch he's going to throw and then thrown it. But uh, when on his last start against the Giants, he calls for a slider to Mauricio Dubon, throws the slider, strikes him out. And we've seen some disrespectful moments on a baseball mound. And it, They again, massacred your boy, Justice. They massacred your boy. This is legitimately like one of the. I I I don't want to I don't want to classify it as swag because it's not really that. No, I was gonna say this should go into our swag conversation too. This is just like, this is fun. Like to mess with batters like that, like challenge them. Like I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna throw. Hit it or go sit down. I mean, it's Granky, so he's like the least swaggered person, but like. In a way, it's its own version of swag. I'm like just confidence on another level. And I am I'm like legitimately curious 
as to what his rationale is beside doing it. Like, I don't think it's miscommunication. Greg is just that, a weird dude. He's just a weird dude. I, I kind of think, and this is just a personal hypothesis, but I think that there's an element of hat, like with him being on Houston, him letting the batters know what's coming. And then <laughs> it's like making up for, and then be, like, he's kind of like it, like quasi defending them. It's like, okay, like it's still hard to hit a baseball. Like, here you go. It's funny too. Cause he, doesn't he feel like the last dude standing of the Houston? Like, so Cole is obviously on the Yankees now. Verlander's injured. Like Dallas Keuchel, like just went off the reservation. Like Greg, is the last man standing. He's stuck with this team of cheaters just annoying dudes, and Granky is still here, still doing his thing. Like I just love that he's because he got was he a trade or was he a free agent signing? I think he was a midseason trade last. He year. was a midseason trade, so he's like, you know what? I didn't ask for any of this, but I'm just gonna join. He's doing his thing, and knowing how, like knowing that Granky isn't the type to want to bask in the spotlight. I do legitimately wonder whether he wants to be on Houston. I don't think so. I hope he doesn't. Because, like... You don't want to carry around that baggage. That wasn't your fault. And I think people have kind of... Like, I'm, I alluded to the rookies who have kind of been thrown into this situation. I feel as if the majority of baseball fans have kind of isolated Granky from the situation just because... He's already kind of he's already been like a likable figure in Major League Baseball before like any of the Houston stuff happened. He continues to remain one and I think there's kind of an acknowledgement that like he was just thrown into the situation. I feel like Gre- I feel like Granky would be one of the last people to try to bend the rules in in that sense because he just he strikes me as like a baseball purist. And so yeah, yeah I don't know. I feel like <laughs> the first opportunity that Granky can get out of Houston. I hope they all do. Like anyone who didn't have anything to do with it, like get the hell out. That that's just bad energy. It really is. I mean, would you want to be somewhere with that legacy? Like, I'm even sorry. if it wasn't your fault, you'd be like, "Yeah, I'm getting out of here." But yeah, like to go back to the point of the sign calling sign like mo- <laughs> I don't even know what you would call it. like telling the batters what's coming I think it could like there's room for it to be like a legitimate strategic device just because if you're a hitter like you're not like you're used to just like you're kind of guessing up there and you're you're kind of playing your own game when it's like okay this guy just threw me an inside fastball the two one count maybe he's gonna go slider away or he doesn't have command of his fastball but the pitcher to just tell you what's coming it's like one well, I guess the main point is like, is he truthful in what's coming? Or maybe like they change, like maybe this is an opportunity. Maybe this is like kind of like a strategic opportunity where it's like, all right, in the fourth inning, we're going to go with like me calling the signs or like, maybe it's like this thing where like both of us are calling signs. I'm just like, I'm intrigued into like how this evolves. As just as a strategic, as a legitimate strategic. Do you really think it's strategic? I think he's just having fun out there. Like I feel like there's definitely an element of having fun. It's like it's like that. Oh god, this is about to be a deep basketball cut. But you know that clip of when Paul Pierce like hits the three over Al Harrington, and it's like you see like the way that Paul Pierce <laughs> like 
He's like, wait, wait, what game? What game? I think it was in the playoffs. This is like it, Pacers out Harrington. This, yeah, this is Pacers out Harrington. Oh my god, this they're is like they're jawing with each other, and then like to the point where the one the ref like steps in, like shut up, like in the middle of the play, and then like you can yeah. tell the way like Pierce is like kind of sponsoring, like you wow. about to pull up, pulls up for three and drills it. It's yeah, like, that's what Granky's like, doing, uh, dude. He's he's splashing one in your face. You can't do anything about it. I guess a better example is like you know that clip of Cam Newton when Clay Matthews is like, whatever calls out the play and he's like, he's like, you can watch a film, huh? Watch this. Yeah, yeah. I definitely like. There is a part of me that's intrigued in as to the the strategic element of this because like as a hitter, you're going against Zach Greinke and Zach Greinke is difficult to hit enough, but for him to like get you out of your element even more. It, I guess more if more than anything, it's just totally a Zach Greinke thing, and please leave Houston, Zach Greinke. <laughs> you you need your powers of good to use with the team for good. Tell but him he's been the lone bright spot on Houston, tell like him for to, them and for us. Tell him to get out of Dodge, please, God. I mean, what is Dusty Baker gonna be do? That Zach Greinke leaves though. He's so know- screwed. You want to know the, the sad thing for Dusty and having to manage all of this? What? He doesn't get his toothpick. Oh, he yeah, you can't do it. Can't do it. You can't, and he can't do the high five, which he invented. You know, stuff. Is it Glenn, yeah, Glenn Burke, who was, yeah. who many people don't know, was the first openly hey, athlete player. Yeah. Some history right there. Hey, you come, you come on the podcast for the Loreano. You're going to get your deep cuts, baby. You're going to get your deep cut. You're going to get some history. I, I can't tell you what history it's going to be, but you're going to get some type of history. So before we get out of here, I want to go over, kind of do a rapid fire thing where we go over a couple subjects. We don't have to necessarily get into them in some in super depth, but I do want to hit at them. Uh, beginning with Marcus Stroman. He was the latest player to opt out of the 2020 season along with, at least mid-season along with, well, I mean, he didn't, Technically, he didn't play a game, so not mid. You know what I mean. The season started; he was on the roster. He's not playing, uh, along with Yohannes Cespedes and Lorenzo Cain. Looking at this tray, and he, he's up for free agency after the 2020 season. So, looking at this trade from a Mets, well, actually, beginning so with the Mets. <laughs> beginning with the Strowman perspective, I definitely get the. To quote Marshawn Lynch, taking care of your chickens. I definitely get that opportunity. It's I'm not like he's seen how many pitchers he's probably seen how many pitchers have gotten hurt in this injury shortened season. Doesn't want to compromise the money. We've seen what happened with Isaiah Thomas. What happens uh, when you risk it for your team? Uh, you end up costing yourself millions of dollars. He decided that's not the route I'm going to take. Um, and Honestly, I respect the decision, especially when you consider he some people are kind of saying like, oh, he like manipulated the service time so that he could get his year so he could be like on the roster. But it's a business. You you either play you play the game or you get played. And for Marcus Stroman to make that decision, I have absolutely no qualms with it. No, I, I echo what you said totally. I mean, obviously baseball isn't handling this super well. So if he says, you know what, I'm out. I total respect. But he had not appeared this year, right? He had not. At the beginning, he was on IL with the Mets. Uh, Tough tough year for the Mets. (laughs) Very Mets year, though. Even in a pandemic, they always find a way to Met. 
I will say I will kind of I will kind of come to the defense of the Mets here in a little bit just because they were definitely like in a win now scenario because like if you consider the rotation that they had last year in particular with that three-headed monster of DeGrom, Syndergaard, and Stroman as well you throw Mats in the mix and you know with their kind of like retool bullpen this year with Familia and Diaz and Betances like on paper like there was there was some room for optimism in terms of like them as a pitching staff. And then you complement that with a really good lineup. Like, I think the, like, because of like the general mettiness of it all, like the lineup is like, it kind of gets lost. Like JD Martinez, Jeff McNeil, Pete Alonzo. Uh, um, I'm skipping out. I'm completely drawing a blank on other names right now, but they have like a, they have a, like a legitimate, like, yeah. So compliment that lineup with some good pitching. It's a like a legitimate win now move. So the Mets have met in a lot of different ways. I'm not going to deny that, but I don't know if this kind of, I think this is, if, if it's a Met move, it's on the very low rung. I and understand. Obviously, it, obviously it they made, predicted the pandemic happening. Yeah, it made sense, but it is just like so poetic that this would happen to the New York Mets. That's all I'm saying. If it would happen to anyone, it would be the New York Mets. Do you have any thoughts on, before we get off uh, the Stroman topic, do you have any thoughts on the way that the Mets handled the Cespedes incident oh god uh I think both sides did not handle this super well it's like a relationship it feels like relationship counseling like if y'all had just communicated this wouldn't have been a problem but the Mets just throwing out uh Cespedes is missing without like if I see like that was the thing like when I saw like like you're causing panic in public for no reason and especially in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic I'm like is this man alive like yeah. that was my question I was like is this man alive so I was just super irresponsible for the Mets which is yet another version of Met team yeah if we're talking about yeah. Met, like Met the verb that's real Met that's real Met but moving on to another pitcher who actually has seen the mound but uh honestly probably would have been better off if he had not seen the mound uh, this year, just considering how his outings have gone is uh, one Madison Bumgarner, former San Francisco Giants legend. Um, it's not been great. Not- uh, what do you give up four home runs against the Padres before he got taken out? Yeah. I think the Padres or the Diamondbacks, I think they gave up like six home runs as a- that five-year deal is looking pretty good right now to Arizona. It's not looking great. Um, the fastball velocity is down. The ERA. His velo is significantly down. It's significant. Like, and I think we both kind of acknowledge that Madison Bumgarner, like before signing this deal, kind of ushered in like that part of his career, kind of like similar to CC Sabathia, where transitioning, and similar to Zach Greinke as well, we're transitioning from like a power pitcher to more of a lo- lo- location. Strategic. Yeah. Type of pitcher. That being said, though, to sign, like to have this to be in this velocity after signing that five-year deal, with the possibility that the Diamondbacks might be stuck with him for the majority of that contract, he also doesn't look in shape. Like maybe you said that was an unflattering angle. Like I don't know, but my dude looked a bit chonky. I got to be honest. There's some serious chonk, some chonky fire in Madison Bumgarner's figure. I will say that, like, it definitely is, like, a super small sample size. Like, I'm not going to pretend, like, every tip-top player has been at the top of their game. You look at guys like 
specifically. But he looks like trash, like garbage, like it's not on fire. Like take all the qualifiers you want. My man looks terrible, and maybe it is an injury, but he was already losing his velocity with the Giants, right? Like I already, like he was like. I was like, dude, I don't know. I wanted to sign him kind of just because, you know, the sentiment, sentimental reasons. But I think Farion realized his best days were way behind him. Did he know he was going to suck like this? No. But I don't know if he's going to be able to turn it around, honestly. like, I do think it is too early to tell because yeah. it's been like, what, three starts? Like, we've seen. So once your fastball goes, it's gone. And Bumgarner never strikes. He's not like a Granky where he thinks the game in that way. Well, Even like, a Sabathia like, body-wise, like, I don't know. We're not like a Scherzer because, like, Scherzer, like, the way that he's operated is, like, he's damn near throwing harder with age. Like, DeGrom. Like, DeGrom is, like, damn near yeah. throwing harder with We cannot age. compare them to him. That's yeah. not really Baumgartner's archetype as a pitcher. And it kind of hasn't been that archetype for a couple years now. No. I'm not going to say that, like, he's just – like He's, he's looking washed. I wouldn't say I, I'm. I'm very hesitant to say washed like right now, but he I'm, looks washed. It's not a great start. It is cause for concern. I was on the, in terms of what the Giants should do. I was on the let Bumgarner go, wagon. I was thinking like in terms of what the Giants want to do going forward in terms of getting money off the books, especially when you still had guys like Crawford, Cueto, all those types, Belt, all those types of dudes still in the books. The last thing you want to do is put more money on the books yeah so with every like again it is too early to tell maybe Bumgarner returns to form but this is some early validation as to the Giants front office making what appears to be the smart move in regards to moving on to that next era and not further diminishing future years uh, with contract obligations agreed it was a, it was a good move very prescient move especially looking back uh do we want to talk about the joe kelly thing i don't know i don't know like how much i have to i mean i feel like we sort of covered it with the astros um his quotes on i think he went on rod stripling's podcast or something had some spicy quotes i was just talking about the suspension being admitted Uh, the suspension was yeah reduced i think we could just get into like the most surprising team and then call it okay yeah so the last place that I want to end off on, we are about at the third of the season mark. And I just want to ask, who for, who for you has been the most surprising team in baseball? I think it's got to be the Miami Marlins. The fact that they did not just fall apart as a team especially because I think they have like 60 dudes or like 26 man roster. Yes. Receipt of they, they had a Olympic speed skater out here taking at ABs. Like what is going on? Jesus Aguilar looks like the swap, the swap, what are the Sultan of SWAT? Like what is going on in Miami? As we uh, or they are eight and four, eight and four. The top is, of the NL East. I will say, like, I'm shocked. I will say the Marlins, like, as like going forward, they have a decent farm system. They have, I think it's, 
I think it's Brian. You have said defend Jeter. All I'm gonna say is they have yeah. a farm system. <laughs> Brian Anderson is very much slept on as a very solid player. Two back-to-back seasons of three ward according to Fangraphs. I really like Sixto Sanchez. Sixto Sanchez. As a pitcher going forward, I really like a lot of their prospects going forward. Maybe we might we, I don't know. Maybe the the prominent era of Miami Marlins baseball might soon uh, soon be on the cusp. I mean, let's be. I think we all expected that team to just fall apart. No one expected them to be good, and then if you have a COVID outbreak, you just think they're gonna like fall apart just from the pressure, and like that would tear a lot of teams apart. I don't know what what's going on in Miami. It's frankly, like, so perplexing to me. Like, I know you make good points about their players, but you did not expect them to be 8-4 right now. Yeah, Come on. I, I most definitely did not. If I'm no. Being, <laughs> if I'm Come good, on now. I wasn't expecting it. And it's like, are they going to be a playoff team? It's like, mm, who knows? Like, a, yeah. lot, a lot can happen in, like, the however many games. Went. I just can't believe – I was like, Jesus Aguilar, I didn't even know you were on the Marlins. I forgot what happened to you. And you're out here just, like, raking. Unbelievable. Cousin of uh, Christy Aguilar. Not really, but. <laughs> Shout out. Friend of the podcast, Christy Aguilar. For me, the team that I'm going to go are the Chicago. Ah, you thought I was going to say White Sox. Nah, it's the Chicago Cubs. I was going to say. The Chicago Cubs. For me, the Chicago Cubs are the most surprising team in baseball. I think. As of, first? Um, they're not only in first, they're 13-3. and three. They have gotten to a great start now. I believe Chris Bryant is – he got banged up yesterday against Cleveland, uh, making a diving play in left field. But you Darvish is – he had a no-hit bid, I believe, going into the seventh today. He w- he's been looking incredibly sharp. John Lester has been looking incredibly sharp. And that team operates like a college team in the best way possible. Like, I've watched a decent – like, a handful of Cubs games this year, and – Whenever there's like a ball and like when one of their batters is hitting, when there's a ball, you hear like a bunch of like "at a boy, at a babe." Like it's it's like very much like a college atmosphere. Well, almost choked. Not choking them out. Oh, that's a, we got to edit that one out for sure. Oh, that's good. But David Ross is really like instilled like this college type atmosphere. I think today or like a couple days ago, what they were doing during batting practice was they took the celebrity cardboard cutouts and put them in the outfield and tried to hit them during batting practice. I did that. There was a lot of – there was there was some eyebrows when David Ross got uh, recruited to be uh, the Cubs manager, manager particularly, yeah. from the, particularly from the standpoint of what if you have to have, like, a difficult conversation with, like, Anthony Rizzo or Javier Baez or Chris Bryant because those dudes were your homies at some point, and it's a lot more difficult to reprimand the homies than someone you don't know. But – I really like the culture that he's instilled in there so far. I believe a lot of their guys have really bounced back after, if we're being completely honest, just really like, under, like as a unit, as a whole, in terms of like underperforming over this last year, I know that Ian Happ has been doing really well. I think he's hitting like 310 this year. They got, as I mentioned, they got Jeremy Jeffries, who's doing like his little strut and stuff, who if he could like hypothetically return to that 2018 form when he was an elite, I I don't remember. If he, I think he was the closer that year for the Brewers. All I'm saying is that the Cubs they got they got some cooking over there, and it's gonna like they've always had the talent. It's never been a matter of talent. It's always been a matter of everything falling into place. And maybe that this is finally the year that get the, that they get their 
that proverbial ish back together and maybe have a little maybe run at that little title go two in what five years I certainly was not expecting this from them I mean I felt like we had all kind of thrown some dirt on them like you guys were just a disappointment you're gonna be remembered as one of those teams that should have won more titles but like you said the the chemistry is much better post Madden Cubs people seem to be having more fun which is funny because Madden is actually like supposed to be one of the funner managers but for whatever reason it didn't work out but uh you know you still got Theo Epstein you still got the Cubs aura and like you said great great roster talented dudes in a way it shouldn't be surprising but as far as like narrative wise and just like our perception of the Cubs in 2020 it's just like ah this this team's done they got to rebuild. It almost felt like. I'm sh- I'm shocked that they've only lost three games. That is nuts. I'm trying to think of like a way to like segue <laughs> from the end. <laughs> that. Oh, because you had a transition for everything until the. I didn't have a transition for this one, but yeah, they've been like the fact that they've only lost three games so far. Like, I, for me, like my pick for the Central was the Cincinnati Reds. I was really digging what they were doing with the offseason acquisitions. I think the universal DH really helped them in regards to Nick Castellanos, who's uh, not exactly the greatest defensive right fielder in the world, even though he wants to play in right field. And I'm really like that rotation of that three headed monster of Bauer Castillo and gray. I was really digging their team, but, and that's not to say that they don't have the talent to make a run it again, it's super early to tell, but if the Cubs are playing the way they are, I think the central and <laughs> the Cardinals find a way to get back in the mix. I think the central is going to be as interesting, if not more interesting than we initially projected, but we've been talking, we've been rambling for a while. I am interested to see how everything unfolds in the following week, both in regards to those, uh, those two pitchers in Cleveland in regards to COVID in regards to the Cubs, Tati's junior, the Astros, everything else. This was a fun episode. So until next week, Justice De Los Santos, Royal Tool, signing off. Peace.